Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Advanced Pro Basketball Show. We got uh, familiar voices, faces on the line, and then one special guest. Uh, I'll say what's up to our co-hosts, uh, Ian. What's up, Ian? How's it going, my man? Going well, it's going well. And as always, my main man, Ermai. How's it going, my man? Very, very well. Very happy, glad. Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. I had a great Thanksgiving. How about you? How was it? Awesome. 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 <laughs> well, let me introduce our special guest today. Uh, it's player slash coach uh, Chris Pagentine. We're going to get into your experience and, and what you're doing. But Chris, how are you doing? How's how's your Thanksgiving? And, and just what's up, man? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, like I was talking, you know, before we got on here, it, it, Thanksgiving for me has kind of been uh, a surprise blessing. Because, you know, this summer I had to call, you know, my family and say, hey, it's going to be another year before I can come back and see any of you. And, you know, even though it was sad that I lost my position due to COVID and our league shutting down, uh, it was great to come back home and see some some loved ones that I've just been missing, you know. So uh, I, I can't complain. I can't complain. For sure. Well, we we have a lot of uh, topics to get to, but I did want to kind of dig into that a little bit. Like just just how you got to where you are today. What what kind of experiences have you had? And then I think that'll give great context for for the conversation moving forward. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. I've probably had one of the weirdest journeys. Um, a lot of you know coaches they go from they go from st- strictly playing career, then they retire, transition into coaching. I did kind of an opposite thing where I was bouncing back and forth between coaching, a little bit of playing, the coaching, and then both. And so I, you know, first I started at a, at a small division three school. Um, and as you guys know, it, it's impossible to try to really break into high levels of basketball coming from small schools, unless you're well connected. So, um, you know, from there, it was really a grind. I wanted to continue playing, but I also knew that on top of that, I needed to build my other backgrounds in case this didn't work out. So I was living in Maine at the time. I graduated from the University of Southern Maine in Portland. And I was driving down to Boston, you know, two hours to practice and play with a semi-pro team. Then I was working uh, in special education um, at middle schools, high schools uh, in Maine on top of coaching at the high school level, at the small college level, just really doing anything and everything I can to to get my basketball career going. Um, So, you know, it kind of, an opportunity broke out for me when I I realized that nothing was gonna be handed to me. I had to create my opportunities. So I started a, a pro exposure camp where I knew that I could try to do, you know, two of my favorite things helping other people and trying to get bigger in the game of basketball. And, and it, and it really spurred my career because I was able to make a lot of good connections out of that. Uh, I eventually, you know, got a assistant coaching opportunity that turned into taking over as interim, uh, head coach at the D three level, which then turned into, um, going up to the NBL Canada through making connections from my camps. And then that's kind of how my my career started going from there. From Canada, I went to Germany, and that's when I uh, I kind of revamped and started playing a little bit, you know. And it, it was more on the amateur level while while uh, assisting at the pro level. Mm-hmm. And then you know, getting back into shape, I was like, hey, you know, I kind of want to do this again. I sought some some opportunities, and that's kind of how then I crossed over into the Czech Republic, and then became head coach and player at the first division, second division. Um, and that's kind of where I had been for the past three years, bouncing back and forth between first and second league Czech Republic. Cool, cool. Great to hear that, Chris. Hey, my man. So, I mean, um, obviously, you've had that overall uh, overseas experience and uh, things have been uh, growing steadily. Really great to hear that from you. Thank um, you. I do want to dig into something special a bit more today. Um at the heart of what we try to give information to our viewers and to our listeners about is the uh, detailed topics. And I mean, today specifically, I want to focus on uh, scouting and 
uh, player development. And mm-hmm. that is an area that you definitely are very, very well worse than. So um, give me some insight on what your philosophies are uh, concerning uh, scouting, first of all. Aries, I think, at the level that you're working with, you know, because you don't want to overload information, especially mm-hmm. when you're working with young players. You don't sometimes my my college coach used to say this the best. He would call it paralysis by analysis. Yeah. So if you're given too much information, sometimes it cripples the players. Right. Mm-hmm. So we want to keep it on a need to know basis. Right. Yeah. So I'd say the biggest things are. Well, I'll look, I'll dive into probably the last three to five games of whatever, whatever level I'm at, college, pro, high school, of the team where that, the opponents were about to play. I'll look at their overall offensive strategies that they're using, probably the top three sets or, or, you know, continuities they're running and any type of like junk defense or their overall primary defense. And then we'll go into their strongest players. Mm-hmm. Obviously, starting five, guys who are getting the most amount of minutes, guys coming off the bench. And then we'll keep it really simple with that as well. You know, we'll, we'll use term, certain terminology. We will, uh, you know, w- when it comes to shooters, we'll say that they're like, you know, a three-star, four-star, five-star, you know what I mean? Stuff like that where it's also easy to communicate from the sideline because mm-hmm. – one thing I found with coaching is the more, you know, the, the more you're talking, the more information, you just get tuned out. So you mm-hmm. got to be really concise with what you're doing. So mm-hmm. if we can use yeah. short terminology that can also be used, not only on when we're doing the scout film, when we're handing out the, the, the scouting papers, but also from the sideline in a quick timeout, you don't have much time. you got to communicate effectively. So I think, um, you got to stick to the main things and, and you can be successful at that. You know, it's not all about every single little detail as much as the overall outliers of, of, uh, what a team identity is. Mm-hmm. True, true. That's interesting that you mentioned like the paralysis by analysis type of stuff, because I think, uh, you know, as we talk about this word analytics gets thrown out there a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious about how you as a coach, or, you know, and, and, and during your scouting work, how you've used analytics with corresponding to player development? Corresponding to player development, I think analytically, it shows you without a shadow of a doubt where you can see strengths and weaknesses. Now, also, on the flip side, the game's not played on paper, right? So sometimes analytics can be a little misleading, but a lot of times they're very good at seeing where a player is, is their tendencies, where they're getting shots from, how accurate they are from, from those ranges. Um, and I think analytics play a big part into setting up your defense, how you're going to stop a team based upon, like I said, where they're getting shots from, how successful they are, um, you know, and, and, and playing off the strengths and weaknesses that you find from, from the data. So I wanted to kind of maybe combine a little bit both the the scouting and and the player development mm-hmm. aspects here. I I'm always curious about as uh, as a coach um, or as a scout or you know just the the steps taken from scouting a player that's not on your team. You know, fi- finding out about how they're playing uh, and and maybe how what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then them coming onto your team. And then you now it's not it's not scouting, but it technically is still player evaluation uh, right. and, and understanding like how they're getting um, better or what areas maybe were more of a weakness than, than you initially thought. I just want to get your uh, thoughts on, you know, evaluating a player pre and post actually coaching them. That is a great question. Um, and I think I think it's almost. You know, well, obviously, you're going to see differences in like the the systematic approach. Okay, so you know, you don't want to necessarily have a kind of a predetermined you know approach of what you're going to do. You want to do it based on your your players and their strengths and everything. And I think you can see what a player can do on the floor from a distance when you're the opposing coach. But I think that 
once they come on your team, it's more about now you get to know them more on a personal basis. You see some of the intangibles, how, how coachable they are, how hard they work. Some of, and, and, and those things, they may seem minor, but it plays a big part in their development and their role on your team, especially when, you know, my father, he went to West Point. So like character and hard work and things like that are very important, especially with how we're running our team. We want it to be not militaristic, but almost, you know, we're going to war with each other, basically. So we want to be a, a team unit. So the right personality plays into those things as well. And I think you see some of that, whereas before, you know, if they're on the other team, and when they come to your team, you can, it's, it's not always different. You know, you may be able to work on some things that they, they weren't getting developed, you know, uh, that you saw, you know, from, from them playing somewhere else. But I think it, it's more on the personal level of the actual characteristics and personality of, of the individual. Good to hear my man. Good to hear. Hey, let's, you know what, let's dig into specifically that one player. I mean, I think all of us are really uh, curious to figure out uh, what your experience has been uh, with the former draftee this this past draft. Um, I mean, you've had an opportunity to train uh, the Czech draft prospect, Vit. And uh, what were your thoughts about him even before you had a chance to, to train him, really? So going into it, um, obviously, you know, I had to do my homework, right? So the whole connection... That, that I had with getting that opportunity was through his agency. Mm -hmm. uh, the PPG group is a division of Octagon Europe. Yeah. Uh, and my former coach in Liberets um, is now with them. And so, you know, when, when they were looking for somebody, he gave me the role because he knew I would take it very seriously. And my mm -hmm. first step, you know, weeks prior to being with him mm -hmm. was studying stats, studying video, all of this stuff. And the, the biggest things I, I was so excited about going into the workouts was you could see this evolution of his game, right? Because the cool thing about him is, and, and his amazing story, is he left the Czech Republic at the age of 14 to go to, to Spain. And then he became fluent in not only Czech, English, but, but Spanish. And so, you know, seeing that, I, that automatically tells me, okay, he's very smart, and it, that shows in his game, high IQ, all right, and he's mentally tough. I mean, when you mm -hmm. leave home at a young age, that's not an easy thing to do. And then he started in the fourth division, EBA, in Spain, yeah. and then had to work his way up. This past season was his very first year in the ACB getting quality minutes. If you look at he's mm -hmm. first signed and made his pro debut at, in 2017, but it was one game the following season, a couple games. So then you start to see him really evolve the last season. And what's so exciting is he only got better towards the end of the season. So mm -hmm. his stats from regular season to playoffs were insanely different. His playoff um, uh, output was amazing. So you could see that within that one year of, of being actually in, at that level, he was getting better, okay? So he had the intangibles, I thought, to be a high-quality player and potentially get the opportunity to be drafted. Um, so then watching his film, you could obviously see that, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, there, there are some, some huge things that, that he has for strength and some huge things he has for weaknesses, but those were the really exciting things kind of going into it. And then getting to know him and his personality you know, I figured he's going to be something special. That's awesome. And I guess just keeping it on beat, like he drafted 37th. Mm -hmm. It seems like he might, you know, stay another year overseas. Not sure about that, but can you just talk a little bit more about like what you think he can bring to the table um, on the court uh, at the NBA level? Yeah, definitely. So to go back to like how amazing his story is in September, he tore his ACL. So for you to tear your ACL and still get drafted in the, you know, towards the beginning of the second round, that says something about you. That's normally career ending and nobody's going to invest in you. So as a, as a, a 20 year old young man with a knee injury, they still see him as, as a high level potential player. And as at a six, seven, six, eight point guard, 
uh, with amazing IQ, passing abilities, able to read the defense, make the right play. Um, I can see why they're excited. Now, he has to continue to grow and build those things to be the prospect that they think he will be. Uh, I think he right now is a draft and stash. He is yeah. currently in Zaragoza rehabilitating his knee. Mm -hmm. um, I think he still has two years left on his contract. They love him there. He loves the city. Um, so I think, you know, he's not going to be a guy. Now, this is my speculation. I talked with him about this this summer as well, but I think he's going to be a guy that, that he'll stay there for a while and he's not just going to directly come here and go to the G League or something. I think he wants to rehabilitate his knee, finish out his contract, and then if if the you know the Thunder they're gonna they're gonna have a good opportunity for him, even if it is in yeah. the G League, I think he'll make that transition over. Um, but you know he's got a lot of great things that he brings to the table, and I think one is his coachability. He was very open to you know because. His biggest weakness right now is his body. That's one reason why he tore his ACL and his, his outside shooting ability, right? Mm -hmm. So that was one of the biggest things we were working on was shot consistency, not just, not just hitting shots consistently, but consistent form. So he had a lot of little quirks to his shot, you know, using his off thumb, different finishes coming out and, you know, his release, things like that. So, and, you know, a lot of times you start talking to over and over and over players, like we said, they tune you out, right? Mm -hmm. Not him. He said, he said, talk to me every single shot. I want to hear any feedback you have on every single shot that I take. And, and we're taking hundreds of shots. You know what I mean? So I think that desire to grow uh, and get better is what you need to be successful, especially at that elite level. You know what I mean? Because now you're talking about, the, the, the best of the best. And if you're not ready to work and get better and receptive, uh, you're going to get left behind. This game waits for nobody. So, you know, true, if, true. if so I think his, the, his intangibles and his characteristics are what's going to ultimately lead him to success. Awesome. Armai, I want to ask you if there's any specific players that you also wanted to ask before I move on to, to maybe a different topic, just, just to keep the, you know, well, dude, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually uh, make it a lot faster than that, guys. What's been going on with Gordon Hayward? Jesus, I mean that contract. <laughs> I, I, I just cannot, for the life of me, grasp what the hell Charlotte's gonna do with him. I mean, it's like a semi-retirement for God's sake. That, I mean, <laughs> that took an interesting turn. I wasn't expecting you to go to Gordon Hayward, but. I do, I do want to give give just some quick thoughts that I have. Like I'm just curious because there were reports that Boston and I forgot who what other team they were saying had uh, four year hundred plus million offers apparently on the table. It was a report, so I, I don't know exactly if, if that was the case. Um, Wait a minute, outside of Boston, what, what, where else did you? There, hear that there was the, there was another there was a there was one more team besides Charlotte. I forgot the team. I forgot which team it was, but it was Boston and then one other team. Sorry, I don't have that. Um, I I could Twitter while one of y'all guys are talking uh, and see who who that was. But regardless, for me, I'm just curious about like he clearly wasn't at the same level that that he was at before like old gordon hayward pre-injury yeah, I mean, probably is is worth that that money he was he was you know mm -hmm. max player and all that um for me it's it's interesting how much the lasting effect of his achieved level plus the level that he was at in boston at the uh this past season he was good he was you know kind of a glue guy making plays and and being a leader mm -hmm. and all that but after that injury again he's a little bit more injury prone like i'm just curious what the incentive is to go 4 million 120 like max guy four years well into his 30s at this point um well by the end of the contract he will be um it, it's it's just interesting to me the, the decision making because i i never try to i never try to bash a decision i'm just trying to i'm just that's trying to hard. i'm just trying to put myself into the person that's making the decision and try to understand the reasons Right. And, and, and I would love to hear, you know, what, what Chris thinks about this as well. I, it just to me, it doesn't make sense from a position of like if I were to make that decision, like there's no way I could I could have myself pay him that much just because of the risk, the 
actual play on the court at this point after his injuries and all that. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. There's no real logical explanation for me for that number. Yeah, I, I, I can't add anything else. I also agree with you with that. Um, I will say, you know, amazing credit to him to come back from an injury oh, like that. Yeah. So the only thing I can possibly think of at this time is they know something we don't and they maybe appreciate his his you know work ethic, his character, something, you know, maybe, you know, we take for granted a lot of times what the chemistry can do, even at the NBA level. I mean, you could throw the best players in the world together, but at the end of the day, you play with one ball. So, you know, I don't know uh, really how to kind of add anything else to that. It doesn't make sense. At, like you said, with, with at this stage in his career, with those injuries, um, but I, I'm, I'm wishing them all the best, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. And it's funny. You said he's, he's playing with one ball. Well, they're going to be playing with one. Ball. He's actually going to be playing with LaMelo ball. So that's one ball right there. <laughs> oh, um, God. Sorry. I had to make that joke, but I mean, if, uh, if, if, um, you're Charlotte and you haven't made the playoffs since what the Josh McRoberts era, I mean, yeah. like you're uh you're kind of yearning and you know the bottom of the east is still up for grabs if i'm charlotte like yes it's an overpay but when are you going to get talent like that on your team again like it's hard for them to even get that in the first place so yeah you're gonna have to pay a premium on that it's not a great decision i think in the long term but at the same time it's like this is our opportunity to get the best as we can at the moment so 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 here's one one more thing i just want to add with with charlotte and and kind of going on that about how they're not really gonna be able to get draw in that top level free agent talent uh they're they're one shot or i guess whatever you think of miles bridges and malik monk they 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 have some potential um but they're one shot of like a potential star star player is Lamelo. and in terms of like contracts and how that aligns like he's going to be on his rookie deal um by until the end of this Gordon Hayward deal, right? So that that's not really going to clash. They're not really going to clash with any other big money players. Um, I mean, they had to they had to pay Terry Rozier that contract to be able to draw him into Charlotte as well. So there's always that a little bit of a premium that the small market teams, not so hot destination teams, uh, need to pay. And I think it's just a good way to at least cohesively align a competent team for the next you know four years around Lamelo, and it's not just a young run and gun team there's there's actually talent there uh that that they can work with so um it, it, it there there are some reasons they also gave him that uh, offer sheet once upon a time when he was with the jazz uh on during his restricted free agency so there is that connection that they like him um so you know, all the best, like you said to Hayward. No, 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 no disinherit. It's, it's just like the the asset allocation of the contracts and all that is some things you got to think of. But I think for each team, it's it's different. Yeah. No, I think you guys bring up the best point is that it's just it's hard to get players to go to Charlotte just because you know it's not L.A. You're not going to make the connections, the endorsements. It's not the you know Charlotte. I'm from North Carolina. Charlotte's not the most attractive place for a young twenty-something millionaire. You know what I mean? Like. You're going to have to pay guys a lot to go there. And unfortunately, I, I don't think for as great as Michael Jordan was as a player, uh, managing a team doesn't seem to be his strong suit. You know what I mean? Um, and Thank you for <laughs> expressing that. I appreciate it. The one thing I, I really loved about the draft was how sour LaMelo's dad looked when he when he was drafted by the Charlie. The whole family. He's like, oh, damn, I got to play him one-on-one now. <laughs> my god all right moving on <laughs> what about the kaminsky deal my god i mean well, it, what were the exact terms he wants to think um sacramento what well, well sacramento yeah last last i heard it was sacramento i've i've heard reports that uh phoenix made an offer but he uh declined hard apparently but um yeah the the sheet that's been signed has been of sacramento for one year and I mean, still, again, thought process of Sacramento there. It's going to be interesting how they align the entire roster at the end of the day. I mean, they're, they're trying to build something up. I can understand the philosophy of how that uh, core is going to most probably play. But 
I don't see as Kaminsky being the right fit. I mean, he's he's just too much of a outside guy to really play there. I mean, he's either going to be back up for good, and that'll be the end of it for him. But I mean, over a year deal. I I I want to I want to tie something in and, and send to Chris on like a team like coaching's perspective too, because I think I think that that deal is is somewhat based on Sacramento wanting the yeah. the stretch five optionality, right? I think I think there's there's something to be said about like having uh different you know, being versatile in the ways you can play. So that's why like for example I like uh Canner still gets, you know, contracts here and there because he can offensive board, he can be that bruiser or like Baines has has extended his range, but like those bruiser type guys, you they a lot of times are, are played off the court and in playoff situations uh, or or in even regular season situations where they're matched up against the wrong matchup, but sometimes they're they're very valuable, and and you see like Myers Leonard get a lot of uh, love too, resigning with the Heat. So um, I think I think there's something to be said about having you know different ways you can play with different players, even if they're not like the ideal player for the way you want to be playing at the most crucial moments. Uh, so I, th- that's actually something I want to ask Chris about is just like what you know how much do you value having the different styles of play available to you with, with the different players on, on your roster. You bring up an amazing point. Uh, I think that that's not even just at the NBA level. That's at any level because we, we're in today's game across the board, it's getting so positionless that it's not so much about your team identity as it is. Can you match up with somebody else? So yeah. if if you can't do that, if you just have a guy that when he gets pulled away from the basket, he gets blown by, well, now you're going to get – that's that's the weakness that's going to be exploited over and over again, right? So like you said, you have to have alternate ways of playing and be able to bring guys in the game that, that can do a little different stuff based upon who you're matched up with. I think that's a very underrated side of the game, and I think that's a great point that you bring up, that it's not necessarily always about just your identity and what you want to do today as it was like in the 90s or 80s where uh you could play your brand of basketball and it you know with with the analytics the scouting um you know changing up of uh, defenses of how you're defending different coverages you can exploit weaknesses and if you don't have a counter or a counter to the counter then especially in the playoffs you're not going to be successful and not to, and not to give too much credit, sorry, Ian, I'll, I'll go back to you, but not to give too much credit to Kaminsky because he hasn't, uh, you know, developed as, you know, as maybe some people wanted him him to develop given his where he was picked and and the whole Boston trade scenarios with that nine pick and then Charlotte not taking that those picks. Uh, I think it was Charlotte, right? Uh, yeah. That, yeah. that were that were offered because Boston wanted Winslow and that that whole story and then Kaminsky was being picked in that in that scenario. But like, if he can give you a Kelly Olynyk type type you know role Olenek has shown that he could provide value in a lot of different situations uh that's like what people hope that Kaminsky can get to it and maybe he can we'll, we'll see um yeah, I've heard... but no, <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to give him the the credit the benefit of the doubt man <laughs> I mean I, I I understand that but consider this I mean coming out of college when I first saw Kaminsky I said no way is he gonna get physical no way and I mean, believe me, uh, to lit- literally just write um, about two days after the draft was over and I still had my duties with the Knicks, I mean, the thought process of actually talking with uh, Kaminsky's agent was still on the board. But then the whole Ed Davis deal uh, happened. So, I mean, believe me, I would have wanted to see him at the Knicks, maybe as that stretch guy, as you said. And to be able to give Coach Tibbs the option, but I mean, when everybody chimes in, and then at the end of the day, uh, the whole process of uh, basically, all right, we need more physical attributes available to us, comes up, boom, you move away from him. I mean, it, it's just the it's just that fact. I mean, if, if there would be some something available like Olenek, as you said, then. The talk of Kaminsky being there, blown out of the water. Well, look, who else is available though, right? The the market has yeah, has, is, has, has slimmed quite a bit. I'm I don't know yeah. the exact number, so so like if it's a if it's just a minimum to four to five million deal, it's not 
crazy. No, it's I mean, only one year. So 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 I can see that like okay, we need this position filled. We need this option, and and we don't have it. Like Alex Len could have been an interesting thing. I think people underrate Alex Len a little bit. He's still. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's still available. Um unless he he's got signed the past day or two um so like that that's another thing that they could have considered uh but you know it, it is what it is we'll see we'll see what what Kaminsky does does in sacramento if he can find the court <laughs> or well, that's, a great point. that's a great point because uh even so i'll take my overseas experience into account teams are much more likely to to sign somebody that's already been in the league that they've seen that they can somewhat bank on even if they're not even if somebody who hasn't been in the league or is a rookie is better so there's always that, like when, when you've kind of not even necessarily proven yourself, but when you've been in the league and you have some rapport, it's easier to kind of keep the ball rolling than it is to, to, to roll the gamble on somebody who doesn't have the experience. Yes, I have a question. Yeah, go for it, go for it, go for it. Go for it. Uh, I just have a question for you. I mean, we talk about, you talk about your experience with small schools and, you know, the big story of this year's season for small schools was obviously the Duncan Robinson, you know, yeah. guy's probably going to get paid a lot, um, you know, given his age and whatnot. Williams College, New England legend, yeah. uh, you know, comes comes through Michigan. Do you think that um, because of his story, because of, you know, what he brings to the game, people are going to look at small school players, you know, D2, even D3 levels a little bit differently? Or do you think it doesn't have that big of an impact? I think that's a very complex question because um, recruiting is not an exact science. You know, there's many factors that go into it. But, uh, and I think what we don't do a good job of in the United States is canceling players at a young age, right? Most, most people, they're not done developing until they're into their 20s and, and you're at your prime at your late 20s, early 30s. Uh, I I probably was at my best between 24 and 28. You know what I mean? And if you would have saw me when I was 17, I was rail thin. I, you know, I, I wasn't ready for the physicality. So I think that's why you see players go, go down the line. They may be very skilled, but if they don't have the athleticism, the height, the size, some of that stuff that they, they go down the ranks and maybe all of a sudden, boom, they have a huge, have a huge growth spurt or you know something of that nature and they start to develop in college i don't necessarily think that uh this is going to like spur you know the nba to look at division three players um necessarily more i think it's a huge win for small college basketball um and he's not been the first guy to get looks there was a kid from babson who was a six seven three man i can't remember his name at this time he got a tryout with the clippers um, but obviously Duncan Robinson has been the most successful actually taking that leap up to division one, not just division one, other players have done that, but high level and then into the NBA. Now there are things he's got to work on too, his defense and other stuff like that. But, um, he's definitely a primary example of how a lot of players are late bloomers. You know, if you looked at him at Williams college, he was very skinny. He was lanky. He looked like a baby giraffe still trying to fill into his body and, and get his coordination. And, and uh, then you really start to see him start to score, start to handle the ball, develop that shot. Now you see his body filling out. So um, I think there are great players at every level of basketball. And um, I think that, you know, if you look even now, there was a kid drafted from a junior college, you know, instead of taking a division one offer that he had so um i think that it's it's there are guys that are emerging from small levels and basketball is only getting better you know what i mean at those levels now if the league is going to take that more seriously i hope so that would be great that would be great I, at I, least overseas levels for these for these uh you know small school guys i think should be considered more you know because they're so quick to throw throw away a, a, a d3 d2 resume yeah, th this this topic is something I actually think a lot about because we all, we always talk about um the primes of players generally you know that are already pro or, or in the NBA or whatever and that prime you know aligns around like you said maybe twenty four to twenty eight maybe that's for guards maybe for other positions it's twenty seven to thirty two or or whatever that range is I think it is different for every player it's it's contextual but it's somewhat in that range um, and I think there's a lot of players um, from 
they don't make it to to the league or where they could because of of two factors one the the scouting it's you you said like you kind of cancel players if if they're not going to be you know somewhat ready to play in in a league by 2021 or 22 23 like right out of college it's it's tough for teams and scouts to be like okay let's take a shot at this guy whereas maybe they are that end of the bench like seventh to eighth man when they're at their peak though like their prime is a seventh eighth man and and that's okay too i think that's very valuable but those types of players develop into that and by the time they develop into that it's you know they're they're not making it and and so so one is the league actually being like okay no we're not gonna take this guy and then because of that factor the player themselves then you know are like all right well this isn't for me i'm not gonna make it i'm gonna move on to to, to whatever and and they they lose that motivation or the, or they lose lose that thing and then they take themselves out of the game a little bit and then and then there's that uh middle ground where you know your players like Duncan Robinson and a lot of other players kind of break through and that's kind of those that break through actually play a lot better because they're not only are they on that trajectory to be in the NBA but they have that heart the the thing that you you know can can scout or evaluate post being able mm-hmm. to coach is is who they actually are and those players that don't fall out don't take themselves out are gonna have a lot better chance to reach their full potential and 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 get to to that level so i think i mean it it all comes back to like how much work are the teams and scouts prepared to do because it's a lot more work to be able to understand you know okay this guy can do this and this but their character is really strong and they're probably going to be able to develop and they're going to be useful one day in the league but not like the classic route so like let's keep an eye on them but are they even going to go to europe are they going to play in the G League it's just a lot more difficult and a lot more factors and I don't know what like my point is here it's just a lot of thoughts that have been going on in my head you know uh and I've talked to a lot of people about this so I don't know if anyone has has any thoughts of whatever I just said right here because I think I kind of rambled to to a point it it not kind of to a point it makes very very much sense I mean um on a higher level the fact that people actually try to get these evaluations in uh, as soon as possible into their organizations and try to basically get uh, players based on that is pretty much what the overseas competition really has been grooming players there about. I mean, a guy like, I mean, simply, I mean, because of the fact that he's going to be one of the best examples, Luka Doncic, I mean, Similarly, like uh, what Vit uh, had been uh, for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, when Luca was actually been taken through the process, I mean, he leaves uh, Slovenia at a very young age, signs on with Real Madrid, is actually in the process of being groomed towards being that best player ever. And all along the way, I mean, I don't know, more than a dozen of NBA uh, advanced scouts, they try to get insight on him. And there's only this one person in Spain, uh, this this is coach, I mean, this American coach who actually lives in Spain in uh, Lugano or Lugo or somewhere. And he actually um, says, okay, Luca definitely is going to turn out to be one of the best potential draft picks ever. Uh, and not from Spanish origin, but from Slovenia, everybody runs in on it. Everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, and the, the fact that at such a young age, he has that uh, knowledge, that experience, and Dallas had been able to pick him up so fast, and now look where he's at. I mean, that whole process of the age issue versus the experience issue, it's definitely a very quick pickup uh, for the higher level teams to really be able to go through. However, I mean, again, when you look on the other end of the spectrum, yeah, with D3, NAIA, uh, even with JUCO players, I mean... Jimmy Butler. Yeah, yeah, even him. I mean, even look at Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy blossomed way later on, and look at his potential right now. I mean, it's still crazy to imagine that Jimmy hasn't hit his uh, close anywhere to a ceiling yet. And I mean... He, he potentially is most probably going to be seeking out at least another three, four rings before anything uh, at all of reaching a ceiling. So, I mean, it, it becomes a crazy issue to have in a good one at that uh, matter too. Yet, I mean, 
what takes me off the most is the fact that, I mean, for instance, there are certain countries in Europe that disregard the fact that um, this whole notion of how their experience valuation uh, should be charged. I mean, what I mean by that is the fact that, I mean, um, let's say national team structures or even uh, national academy structures, they look at players from uh, one summer to the other. And during the course of the year, maybe meet up three, four times. And during that process, they basically say, okay, this player is becoming good, bad, or we're just going to cancel this guy, period. And they don't look at how the mental growth is really happening. They just look at the physicality of things. And along the way, you miss out on such huge amounts of talent. And I mean, one thing leads to another, that kid mentally becomes so tough and he tries to do things on his own. He goes and gets out a scholarship. He goes to the NCAA, boom, all of a sudden you have a guy like uh, that, that kid that signed in Detroit, uh, the Ukrainian kid, Svi, mm. Mikhailuk. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I mean, that kid, if he would have actually been a part of the Ukrainian national team program in a solid way, we wouldn't have most probably uh, not even heard of him. I mean, men mentally, mentally speaking, he just actually just ripped himself off, said, hell of it, I'm just going to go, U.S., boom, now he's in the NBA. So Chris, what 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 do what do we need to do? Like, what do scouts need to do? What do what do uh, team offices, coaches, like like how how do how do you uh, combat this? How would you combat this? Do you fall into this kind of because because it, it's you know it, it's human nature. I feel like once you have an opinion on someone, that that's that's now that bias, right? That you have this opinion and oh he was he was bad this time, so like he's probably not going to be good here or this other player that was really good, like. Oh, he's having a bad game, but he was really good before. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Where like they might have crossed on that on that you know axis of, of whatever the quality is. But since your prior biases, they were on different levels. You're there, right? So I th I think there's a lot of play here. I'm just curious, like how, how how do you try to avoid doing that? How do people? How can people get better at avoiding avoiding doing that? What what are your thoughts? I think it's really difficult. I mean, I definitely don't envy the job of an NBA GM these days. I think it's so like fad based. Everybody wants to jump on the trends. Um, and, you know, now it's like you're seeing you're seeing more of a European trend. You're seeing, you know, positionless trends. You're seeing all that type of stuff. And just like in the States, how we talked about recruiting not being exact science and players falling down the line and you're seeing very talented players not getting scholarships or going to small schools. It's the exact same thing that happens all over the world because there is no, uh, you know, real hard and set evaluation process or uh, exposure. You know, once, you know, the exposure game is so wild now, somebody has a ball is life mixtape and all of a sudden they're the next LeBron and because they get a million views, they're, they're all of a sudden legitimate. But yet somebody who's in a, a country that is very talented and they don't have that exposure, nobody knows of them or they're not considered not as good because they're not in on this internet trend. You know what I mean? Uh, a very good example is our team. We picked up uh, a former national uh, a player. He's a six, nine big man, very skilled. He had no business being in the second division, but we were very lucky because he, it was the exact same thing you were talking about. He was national team uh, up through his teens, uh, went to some programs, kind of got pushed out um, for, you know, more experienced players, didn't get developed. And then he said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to work on getting my degree on working and I'll, and I'll also play basketball on the side on a, on a minor league, you know, kind of semi pro basis. So I think there's a little bit of timing and luck involved with that. And I think so many people, it's, it's, it's like human nature, right? A lot of, you want to fit in, you want to go with the grain. It's so hard to go against that and have your own opinion about a player. You also need to see them, I think, in person playing. You know, it, it's different when you're, when you're watching a highlight tape and you're hearing something from somebody, maybe even different when you're watching a full game online compared to actually being there, seeing them, seeing their work habits, seeing how they respond to teammates, to coaching, 
uh, to that type of stuff. I think that has a, a, such an undervalued um, uh, significance in their ability in the future. So I think what, what needs to happen is, uh, and you're seeing it, you're seeing the NBA start to, to kind of gravitate and have more scouts uh, internationally and, and, and people trying to look at, at, at some of these academies and, and the FIBA tournaments and stuff like that to find the next guy. But um, I think there needs to be kind of more, uh, you know, more people that actually kind of develop that relationship on, on a, a basis where they're, they're getting to know the player personally, because I think that has so much to do with, with where their ceiling's at. And then also working with them to see exactly their strengths and weaknesses and how that it's so hard for so many people to see how uh, someone's game can translate from one level to the next, especially when you're talking about going from a, a lower level or a junior level to how it's going to turn out now at the senior competition. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that's one big factor that ends up sending a lot of players, you know, either they don't get opportunities or they go to lower places. And like you said, it's once you get put at a certain category, at a certain level, it is so hard to get out of that box, even if you're more talented. And so, and so going off of that, like youth development to, you know, what we think of players at a certain age, you're an American who's lived in Europe. You know, you've experienced the game throughout different places geographically and so what's one thing that if you were to come back to the states and you were to say they're doing this in Europe the right way we need to do this the right way you know we hear a lot of issues with the American AAU system where it's just here's a ball and you know get some highlights type of thing what's like the, what's one big development thing big picture that you would bring from Europe that they're doing correctly into the states at a youth level Ian, I'm so happy you asked that question because this is one of the biggest things that I talk about to, to everybody that would, would give me the time to listen. Um, so years ago, you saw it where in the States, if you were tall, they stick you in the post, right? And Europeans started coming over with height and some games, some skill, some handle, uh, outside shot. And then the Americans said, okay, now we're going to do that, right? So that's been the trend. We've caught up a little bit trying to do that and, and give and not just stick a big guy down in the post and not develop their game. The next transition, what I would like to see, okay, is what I think European, European uh, countries are doing right is their structure, okay? So take, take you know, Spanish clubs, Real Madrid, right? They've got high, high-level professional on down through semi-pro ranks, on down through youth, on down to the very beginning, four or five years old, picking up a basketball for the first time. Academy system. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think the wave of the future. Now, you're seeing some of this start to happen now with because of COVID, right? The NCAA is kind of dying out. College basketball kind of fading. Uh, California, they say, hey, players can now get paid for their likeness, right? Okay. So what I think you're going to see in the future is and, and you're seeing that junior NBA spur like big time all over the world. You're going to see an organization in the NBA have their NBA team all the way down to youth basketball, and it's going to be like Boston Celtics U15 squad or something like that. And then you're going to have access to better coaching. Coaches will get developed better. Players will get developed better. Even though we are technically the number one basketball country in the world, we still can grow. Our, our, we haven't reached our ceiling. We just need a better structure. I love that model, by the way. It's like, it's so appealing and it's so foreign to us Americans, at least. Yeah, because so. yeah, you have so much, you know, you go from AAU to high school to all these different coaches. And I'm not saying getting a different look isn't good. Okay. It is, you know, but I think that structure of consistency and, and if you have the right role models and, and you're under a club where you have, okay, so maybe you're, you know, you're 15 years old, but you can get experience practicing with the 17 year old team or or with higher level players and even and, and even just the value of you know when you go a lot of times what happens is uh overseas you know practices are in block schedule bang 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 right yeah. so you may have in the gym before you the men's team right mm -hmm. and then and then the kids are coming in the value of these kids coming in to see a high level what that looks like Yep. Not, not only the speed yep. of the game, the pace, the way they're working, the coaching, the mm -hmm. what, what's being demanded of them. 
And then, and then that kind of trend, the trickling down and, and those coaches getting a few days or a few hours a week, getting to work with them and, and you building that relationship, it's going to keep the kids in the program and it's going to keep them developing. And I think that you're going to see more prospects, better basketball and us continuing to be stronger. But I would love to see that model go come to the U S well, this conversation has been amazing. I think, and, and just like quick, quick one sentence on that, like the, the dissolution or dissolvation or whatever that word is, the dissolving of the financial institution of college is not just a sports thing. <laughs> it's, it's a whole thing. You can get your education, you can get your coaching, you can get your whatever you need in your head to become what you're going to become in your mind without either falling into crazy crippling college debt uh, without, you know, not being able to make money from your likeness as in the NCAA without a lot of different other things that the, the capitalism of college institutions has, has caused problems throughout the globe. That's a whole nother topic. That's a whole, you know, other thing, but I, I think it really slides in well, but regardless, Chris, thank you so much uh, for, for, you know, blessing this, this show uh, with your, with your knowledge and insight um, on, on everything you do. Um, and is there, is there anything that you'd like to say closing words, uh, to, you know, our listeners? Um, I don't know if you have anything to plug. Generally coaches don't really have things to plug, but if you do let us know, uh, and, and we'll, we'll close it out. No, I mean, guys, I just really want to say thank you so much for having me on. Uh, anytime I get a chance to talk basketball with like-minded people with, you know, really brilliant basketball minds, it's always a treat for me. So I want to say thank you to you guys uh, for taking the time to, to listen to all the, my ramblings. Um, and as far as plugging goes, uh, I do have a website, uh, cppnetwork.com. Mm. Uh, same thing for social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all C- at CPB Network. And then my YouTube, um, that stands for Chris Pagenting Basketball Network. And that's the title of my YouTube channel where I try to get uh, – I try try to give advice um, to players, to coaches that are looking to come up, different stories, different topics, um, anything anything and all things basketball I throw on there, especially overseas stuff. Um, what, you know, the, the, the stuff that took me a decade to learn and all the mistakes and, and the, 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 the wrong turns that I, that I made, you know, getting to where I'm at, I try to alleviate those pains and, and give that, those words to others um, looking to do similar things. So, uh, you know, if you want to connect with me, those are the places to do it. We'll definitely include a link to all that um, in, a, in, our, mm-hmm. in our show description. And, and uh, maybe you can hop on some other time to talk more in oh, depth, it, it, more in depth about uh, the CPB network and everything you got going on there. Armai, Ian, uh, appreciate you guys uh, hopping on. Armai, any, any closing words, anything you, you want to say before we end here? Oh, my man, we're all good. We're, we're, all, good. we're all good. Well, appreciate everyone tuning in um, and we'll talk to you all next time. Peace. Take care, guys. Peace.